Well, good morning. It is a great privilege to be with y'all. Christina and Dylan are both uh, great friends of my wife, Jessica, and us. And, um, you know, I I do work at Vintage in downtown Raleigh, and... um, but also volunteer slash work with uh, Acts 29, which I know y'all are well, uh, really familiar with. And I get to meet with a lot of pastors and their wives and just hear uh, more about their church, their people. And one thing that I'll say that's really distinct about Christina and Dylan is they just really care about you. Like truly, uh, they talk about you in ways that uh, would make you blush in some ways. <laughs> I mean, they just love you deeply. Uh, I can definitely tell that there's a family uh, here at New City. So I'm just really, I'm actually challenged by that in my own pastoral ministry, just how much y'all care for folks. So uh, it's a privilege to be here. I'm going to pray and then we'll hop into a really significant and heavy uh, topic this morning. Uh, Father, we love you and uh, we are so thankful for your word and the truths inside of it. And uh, I do just pray that you would bless me and uh, give me grace as I try to communicate uh, to folks uh, who might have struggled with depression at some point or might even currently be struggling with depression. Uh, Father, I pray that they would know that your word is true, and it speaks to things that are true to life, like depression. And I'm even thankful for this series, Let's Talk About It, because uh, I'm so tempted to learn about different issues in our cultural and world uh, from sources outside of your people, uh, your church. And uh, just really, really grateful for how applicable uh, the scriptures are. So, Father, I pray you'd uh, fill me with your spirit, give me clarity as I teach. Um, such a privilege to teach the Bible. And, uh, Father, I pray that every individual sitting in this, in this room would leave here not thinking uh, that was a great sermon, uh, but uh, way, 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 way more so that they would leave here thinking that uh, Jesus is a great Savior. So, Father, uh, every time I preach, uh, the old hymn, uh, well does the accuser roar of wrongs that I've done. I know them all and thousands more. Father, I know that you knoweth none. So God, I got to pray uh, that you would just uh, help me be one beggar, showing other beggars where to find food, and that you'd speak in and through Psalm uh, 42 this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, as you might be able to tell through listening to my voice for 60 seconds, I am from Western North Carolina. That's crystal clear, and I'm truly thankful for a lot of the culture in uh, Western North Carolina. I'm from a little city called Lenore. That's right near Boone and Hickory. And um, growing up, Lenore taught me a lot. My mom and dad taught me a lot. And um, one of the things that they kind of passed on to me was this kind of blue-collar attitude in life. And this plays itself out in a lot of ways, uh, but one of those is in our family, we did our own car maintenance. Right, you are not allowed to go to a Jiffy Lube. In fact, if I see you at a Jiffy Lube, I will publicly shame you. Right? That is not uh, allowed. All right, so we change our brakes, we change our fluids, uh, right, re- we rotate our tires. It's just who we are. And uh, growing up working on cars with my dad, I can distinctly remember the great warning, the great trepidation that he would have in his voice when he was starting a bolt that if he got misaligned and stripped, would cause a lot of work. So uh, there's this drain bolt, as many of you know, because you're blue collar folks too, I'm assuming here, maybe, I don't know. You're like, I just went to Jiffy the last week. But, um, <laughs> but there's this drain bolt at the bottom of your oil pan. You take it out, right? You drain all your oil. And as I'm putting that back in on my 1998 Ford Ranger last week, I can hear my dad, who's still alive, saying audibly, son, do not get that bolt started wrong. So I slow down and with great trepidation, I, I start slow because this is an important bolt, uh, and it will cause me trouble down the, down the road. So as we uh, approach today's passage, this topic, depression, is an important bolt, right? And if I start too fast, 
or if I miss, get it misaligned, then the sermon will, will come off certainly poorly. In fact, you know, I always read multiple commentaries, listen to multiple sermons, and I was struck uh, by a repeating theme in the commentaries and sermons I read to prepare for uh, today's uh, passage. You know, several pas- uh, pastors said, the first time I preached Psalm 42, I completely screwed up. <laughs> so I'm entering this with great trepidation as well uh, this morning. And here's why uh, this is uh, such a significant and a, a text that we should um, be very careful with is because it addresses a very heavy topic uh, in depression. And in this passage, there's at least two different types of depression. Uh, the first would be clinical depression. Now, this is a mood disorder right, that a therapist would typically diagnose, and um, it causes a persistent feeling of sadness and the loss of interest in life. And, but also, uh, there's spiritual depression, uh, which is simply a, a season of spiritual dryness and longing. And many think this passage addresses both. And um, w- what do we know about both? Well, first, for clinical depression, it's a lot more prevalent than you might imagine, or at least uh, it's more prevalent than I imagined when I, I started studying for the sermon. It affects 6% of men, 10% of women. Uh, one in five people in this room will uh, be impacted by depression in their lifetime. And in 2010, more than 253 million prescriptions were written for antidepressants. So certainly common and widespread with regards to clinical depression, but not just in our world, uh, also in the Bible. This might be encouraging for you uh, if you're going through depression. Uh, the Bible's prevalent, I mean, uh, the depression rather, is uh, prevalent in God's Word and throughout church history. You know, uh, characters in the Bible like Job, Hannah, uh, David, Elijah, uh, well-known Christians like Charles Spurgeon, uh, St. Bernard, Mother Teresa, all these folks in the scriptures or in biographies uh, we know struggled with clinical depression. And I'm no expert in diagnosing or treating clinical depression. However, God's Word does have something to tell us about clinical depression, which we'll look at in Psalm 42. But uh, additionally, I want to cover a little bit about spiritual depression. A spiritual de- depression, on the other hand, uh, happens to everyone, or it will happen to everyone at some point in their walk with Jesus. Unlike clinical depression, at some point, every follower of Jesus will experience a season of dryness, of longing. And this will be characterized by uh, feelings, uh, feeling like maybe you've uh, lost God's presence, right? And maybe um, you feel like he's forgotten you. Or maybe time in his word uh, used to be really, really sweet and fulfilling, and now it's dry and dull uh, for you uh, personally. It's important to know that both forms of depression are a result of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and not how God created the world to be. But because we live in a fallen and broken and sinful world, depression exists. But there is hope in Christ. There is hope in Jesus. Now, this uh, passage speaks to the reality of both types of depression, but also gives wisdom and direction for how to come out of each. So a little um, context for starters. Remember, the Psalms in general are songs, right? They're poems, and they are uh, written to awaken you right, to uh, help you express and shape your emotional life as you walk with Jesus. And poetry and singing exist because God made us with emotions and not just thoughts. And specifically in this psalm, we don't know uh, if the psalmist is uh, spiritually or clinically depressed or both. But either way, this psalm will be helpful for both conditions. And specifically in the psalm, uh, if you look back at your Bibles, uh, the, the, right before Psalm 42 starts, you'll see uh, that it says, this is a masculine for the sons of Kurah. And a masculine is a Hebrew uh, verb, which simply means to make wise or to instruct. So the point of this psalm is to instruct us. Uh, and this passage points to three realities. First, uh, there is a condition. 
depression, either clinical or uh, spiritual. And this passage is going to point to some of the causes of depression, not certainly not all of them, uh, but some. And then thirdly, we'll look at the cure. Uh, so maybe some tracks you can run on if you struggle with spiritual or clinical depression. So first things first, uh, we see the, the condition, spiritual and or clinical depression. You'll see this condition is multifaceted, right? It, it affects this individual uh, physically. It affects them relationally, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually. And there's so much in this psalm that describes this individual that I know you and I can relate to. Look at verse 1 and 2. Look back at your Bibles with me. God's word says, As a deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for you, O God, the living God. When can I come and appear before God? You know, uh, the ESV uh, translates this verse verse as a deer pants uh, for living streams. And as I began studying this uh, passage to teach it, I always thought of Psalm 42, 1 and 2 as someone, as uh, explaining or describing someone who is deeply experiencing fellowship with God, right? They are on fire. Like they're walking with Jesus. They're longing for him. They're thirsting for him. But that's not the case. If you think of the picture, uh, when you see an animal panting, right? My dog pants all the time, right? What's wrong with that animal typically, right? They're thirsty. They have a need that's not being met. And that, that, the same is true for the deer uh, in Psalm uh, 42, or the man who's describing himself as a deer, rather. You know, Dr. Tony Evans uh, has a commentary on this passage, and he says that the deer is searching for life-sustaining sustaining refreshment, not experiencing it. The deer is searching for life-sustaining refreshment, not experiencing it. So uh, he's struggling with uh, deep existential longings. But further, look at verse 3. He says, "'My tears have been my food day and night.'" Right? This guy's overcome with grief, and this condition is affecting him physically. Right? In short, in the, uh, these, uh, this short verse, we learn two things about this guy. Number one, he's not eating right, because his tears have been his food, and he's not sleeping because he's doing this day and night. He, right? He's physically deprived. And further, in verses 3 and 10, we see uh, something repeated. These individuals taunting the psalmist. Right? Uh, verse 3b and 10 says, While all day long people say to me, where is your God? Now, again, this uh, individual is definitely not with his community. He's away from the people of God. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But making the problem worse, he is surrounded by people who want to discourage him in his faith and trust in God. Right? They, they want to make him think that in his greatest season of need, at his lowest point in life, that God has abandoned him. And then lastly, in verse 9, we see that he's not just struggling, uh, you know, with uh, existential longings. He's not just struggling with uh, externally people taunting him. He's also struggling internally. Look at verse 9 with me. I will say to my God, uh, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must must I go about in sorrow? The man begins to internalize uh, the message that he's feeling and maybe uh, some of the taunts that he's hearing externally as well in verses 3 and 10. He begins to think to himself, well, maybe God has forgotten me, right? Maybe God has left me. Maybe I am on my own. So he has these existential longings, these thirsts. He's not sleeping or eating. He's taunted externally, and he's doubting internally. And as I said in the beginning of the sermon, his condition is multifaceted, right? You see it? He has physical aches. He has spiritual ailments. He has emotional distress. He has pressure externally and internally. And I want to ask you, can you relate to this person? And if you read the Psalms, you'll see clearly how the Psalms legitimize our feelings, our, the, the, the way that we're suffering, and give us language to bring it before our Father in heaven. 
if you felt like this, I want you to know that God's word is true to life, right? It speaks to real life experiences. And one of these uh, first in this passage being uh, clinical or spiritual depression. Secondly, let's look at some of the causes of depression. You know, so far we've only described this individual's life. And I've intentionally tried to only point to what the person's life is like rather than answering the reason why, the cause for their spiritual condition, which we'll turn our attention to now. Uh, For starters, the most important aspect uh, of the individual in this psalm is that his condition is not a result of sin. Please hear me clearly clearly of that. Um, uh, His condition is not a result of anything that this individual has done. Uh, Now, can you be in a state of spiritual depression or clinical depression because of sin or disobedience in your life? Absolutely, for sure. Uh, You can enter into a season of spiritual dryness uh, due to disobeying God. A continued pattern of violating your conscience. You know, maybe you are uh, doing things that you know God uh, has called you not to do, or maybe you're not doing the things that God has called you to do. And that can certainly lead to clinical or spiritual depressions, uh, depression rather. And there's several examples of this in the Psalms uh, where individuals experience spiritual or clinical depression as a result of sin. Uh, one of them is uh, David and Bathsheba, Psalm 51, uh, verse 4. You know, David confesses, Against you and you alone have I sinned and done what was evil in your sight, so that you are, uh, you are right when you pass sentence and you're blameless when you judge. And then verse 10 of chapter 51, he uh, asks God for renewal because his sin has made him uh, spiritually depressed. However... This is very, very important. Neither clinical depression nor spiritual depression are always a result of sin. You may have heard that, depending on you know, you know, where you grew up in church, but uh, it's, it's not, uh, they, neither are always a result of sin. Clinical depression or spiritual depression can be because you've been sinned against, right? You've had something done to you. And this is a really important to distinction. You know, uh, to prepare for this uh, sermon, I read this short book uh, called uh, Christians Get Depressed Too. It's by David Murray. You can read it in the afternoon. It's really short. And uh, in there, he uh, summarizes a pastor and two Christian uh, psychologists who make uh, these two summary statements. Uh, they say, first, what we believe. We believe that all Christians can experience worry, fear, and upset, uh, and being upset, and depression. We also believe that being a Christian does not prevent us or our loved ones from experiencing upsetting or challenging problems. But what we do not believe, although at times we all choose to act in ways that are wrong, and this can lead to bad consequences for us and others, we do not see anxiety and depression as always being a result of sin. Neither do we believe that mental health problems are a result of a lack of faith. So depression can be a result of sin, but in this passage, depression, depression is not a result of anything the individual has done. Now, how do I know that? How do you know that? Well, if you look back uh, through Psalm 42, you will not see a confession, right? You will not see the psalmist saying, I'm sorry for my sins, which read the rest of the Psalms. They make it clear when they have blew it, right? Uh, but not in this one. And the point is, we can experience spiritual dryness apart from our own sinful decisions. It can be for other reasons and this passage lists three. Look back at your uh, uh, Bibles. In verse 6, uh, the psalmist says, I'm deeply depressed. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and the peaks of Ramon and Mount Mazar. Look at verse 4 as well. I remember this as I pour out my heart, how I walked with many, leading the festive pr- procession to the house of God with joyful and thankful shouts. So we see three causes. Uh, the first is this guy, his community has been disrupted. 
right? He was in the land of Jordan and of Hermon. We get that from verse 6. And this would probably locate him north of the Sea of Galilee, which would be pretty far from Jerusalem, which is where his uh, family and friends would be. I've uh, got a map here up here behind me so you can see the distance, right? No Ubers there, right? It's a long, long trip. He's distant from, from, uh, from his family and friends. And we don't know why he's separated from his community. If you just you know, think through, like, why, how could he be uh, a first century Jew be separated from his family? Well, it could be uh, exile, could be travel, it could be sickness or some other reason. We don't know uh, why he's separated, but we do know that he is. He's separate, uh, separate from uh, the people of God. And this can certainly cause a spiritual or clinical depression. I would go so far uh, to say that one of the main reasons um, in my experience as a pastor that uh, my congregation uh, you know, experiences spiritual or, or clinical depression is because of, uh, or maybe spiritual more than clinical, but um, spiritual depression is because uh, they're not with their people. They're not in fellowship with other believers. You know, I've experienced this uh, personally several times in life, you know, specifically one summer. And to tell you the story about me experiencing spiritual depression, I have a confession to make. I used to be a pirate. And I really mean that. I got photographic evidence behind me. Uh, I was in this ministry in college called Crew. And every summer, uh, Crew takes 40 students uh, down to Clearwater Beach, Florida. Uh, it was an absolute blast. Yeah, all the pictures are, yeah, it's like, I was more tan than I've ever been in my entire life. I don't know, I don't know if anybody wears Chacos at New City Church, but I had the best Chaco tan that you have ever seen in your entire life. I never took them off the entire summer. But, um, but anyway, they take 40 students down to Clearwater Beach, Florida, and they, the staff get the students job, jobs in this big tourist town, and then they train the students on how to reach coworkers uh, with the gospel. I mean, it's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal uh, summer for me. It's the most spiritual growth I've ever had in my life. And every week they'll have these different trainings where, uh, you know, you learn uh, how, do I tr- how do I know the Bible's true or how do I study the scriptures or how do I fast or pray, uh, how to resolve conflict, um, you know, dating and relationships. They'll have all these trainings. But the last one, uh, that they did in Clearwater Beach, Florida, was post-project depression. Now, why would they do that? Well, you got 10 weeks, 40 students in this spiritual greenhouse. They're walking with God, trusting Him, loving Him. They're on mission together. And then the, the last day, you pull them out and throw them back on campus. They knew, the, the cruise staff did, that spiritual depression would be very common if you remove people out of this intimate, deep fellowship uh, with one another, right? They, they knew, and we must remember that individual time in the Bible in the morning is a contemporary privilege, right? It's a, it's, it's a contemporary privilege. Um, certainly Jews memorized and meditated on God's word. However, the printing press wasn't in, invented until 1450. So the widespread uses of uh, the scriptures individually is a contemporary privilege. Now, uh, I'm not telling you not to read the Bible individually. You should read it every morning, right? It's good for our soul, and it'll help us uh, with uh, clinical and spiritual depression. However, it was always meant to be read in community with other followers of Jesus, right? We're meant uh, to uh, be in community with other folks and doing life together, uh, reading this word together, applying it together. And when we're removed from that, it can cause a spiritual or clinical depression. Secondly, uh, so uh, first, uh, one cause can be disruption of community. Another in this passage that we see is physical deprivation. Uh, verse 3 again says, My tears have been my food day and night. Right, We learned this earlier in the sermon, but uh, this guy's not eating. Right, He's not sleeping. And I think there's a great question uh, for all of us to ask of this passage, which, which is uh, whether or not the physical deprivation is the cause or the effect of the depression. Is he depressed? Therefore, he isn't sleeping or eating, or is, or is he not sleeping or eating because he's de- he is depressed? 
And I think the answer to this is yes, because these things are so interconnected, inter- interconnected and uh, these things are cyclical as well. Right? But the point here is that we cannot ignore the physical. You know, some of us are suffering from spiritual or clinical depression because we're utterly exhausted. Right? We've worked seven days a week uh, for 52 weeks straight, and we're acting like our, um, uh, our bodies are machines, right? and they're beginning to, to quit on us. You know, or maybe uh, you're like me sometimes, and you, you don't eat well. You know, I'm certainly guilty of this. You know, uh, my wife and I really value dinner together uh, every night, and uh, we sit at the table, and you know, Jessica every once in a while will ask me, how was lunch? And I'll be like, I think I had a raisin. I think I had a raisin. And she said, you are, you're insane. Like, but it's like, sometimes I can get so focused on work. It's like, I, for, I forget like our basic uh, physical needs. And uh, my wife tells me often after I tell her about my raisin for lunch, that metaphorically speaking, she says, what worked for you in the morning will strangle you in the afternoon. And what she means by that is some of the patterns that we develop will eventually burn us out. And what I mean by this is if you're in your 20s and 30s and you're working 70 hours a week, burning it on both ends, never resting, it will catch up to you in your 30s, 40s, and 50s. And the problem in our culture is often the best way that we can get a promotion is by ignoring our basic needs and responsibilities that we have to ourselves, our families, and our church. And as we continue to buy that lie and give in to that reality, let us not be surprised when our walk with Jesus suffers or we... uh, experience spiritual dryness as we're neglecting uh, the basic needs of life. So number one, a dis- uh, disruption of community can cause depression. Uh, two, physical deprivation can. And three, misunderstanding God's character uh, in life events. Uh, remember this guy, he's living in isolation uh, from God's people. And there's people taunting him saying, where's your God in the midst of his suffering? And then he asks a similar question in verse nine, where he says, why have you forgotten me? In the midst of uh, depression, it can be easy to buy the lie that God has forgotten you if you're not grounded in who God is and what he has done for you. You know, when I was in high school, I just placed my faith and trust in Jesus uh, when I was 16, and uh, I was inviting anybody with a pulse to church with me. I mean, it was, I, mean I should get back to it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all my friends in, in high school, I was like, man, you got to come to church, come to church, come to church. And one summer, uh, we had a camp one weekend, and I got a friend that me and a couple of buddies had been praying for to come uh, uh, to this discipleship now weekend with me. And uh, he had a blast. He heard the gospel for the first time there. He followed Jesus, and it was awesome. Me and my friends were so excited for him. But this guy had had a tough life, and a few years prior, his mother uh, had passed away, and the only thing she left him was this old classic Monte Carlo. This isn't it, but it's a picture of what the car looked like. I mean, it was in rough shape. Uh, I mean, rusted out. I mean, just a, a really tough vehicle. But he worked two part-time jobs. He poured every weekend uh, into this car. And a few months after he placed his faith and trust in Jesus, uh, someone stole it. And uh, he didn't have collision insurance, and they found it uh, in an abandoned uh, parking lot sitting on cinder blocks, completely par- parted out. Uh, because he had some really nice wheels on it. And uh, after that, he never came back to church, ever. And uh, I think that he was disillusioned by life of events, right? He had forgotten who God is and what he had done for him. Uh, further, I had done a poor job warning him, right, that Satan would do everything possible to keep him from following Jesus. I should have warned him from John uh, 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come so that you may have life and have it in abundance. And I would tell you this morning, I don't, I don't want to make the same mistake twice, right? If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus, I want to warn you, right? Satan hates that. 
And he, he wants to do everything he can to discourage you, uh, to lead you to doubt, and to keep you from following Jesus. So in the midst of suffering, in the midst of life, we must see our life events through the lens of what God has done for us in Jesus. Right? Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God has done everything necessary to reconcile anyone who will place their faith and trust in Christ to the Father. And then we get to walk with Him, love Him, cherish Him for a lifetime. And we have to see life events through that lens of the gospel. So number one, when a condition of spiritual or uh, clinical depression does come to We've got to identify some of the causes, and maybe they'll help us come out of it in some ways. And thirdly, uh, we uh, can apply uh, some cures for uh, depression uh, from Psalm uh, 42. So as we've covered uh, the condition and some of the causes of clinical and spiritual depression, you might say, okay, Jordan, you, may, you say this season will come uh, for everybody. I need to be ready for it. I'm doing some of the things that you say cause spiritual, spiritual or clinical depression. What do I do to cure the problem? Well, the first thing I would say is be very careful when you approach either clinical or spiritual depression as if either have a singular cause. Individuals um, with secular presuppositions uh, might say that everything is physical, right? So if you're clinically depressed, depressed, the, on, uh, the causes are only physical. Therefore, take this medication and you'll be healed. And hear me very clearly, my friends. Medication for depression can be a very good and necessary thing. But if you look at the research, very, very rarely is clinical depression solved or healed only from an aid to, to brain chemistry, right? It's always in conjunction with other things. Uh, but then others might uh, take a uh, overly spiritual approach or a moralistic approach to uh, seeing uh, depression cured. They might say things like, have more faith, repent, buck up, pull yourself together. And remember, in this psalm, this condition can't necessarily be fixed by, uh, solely by Christian disciplines. So if we shouldn't approach uh, the cure moralistically, buck up. Nor should we say that uh, it's only physical, just take this medication. How should we approach the cure for depression? Well, very quickly, let's look at what this individual does. First, uh, he's willing to ask God why. He's willing to talk to God. He's willing to, uh, biblically, this is called lamenting. He's willing to ask the Father why. In verse 9, he says, I will say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in sorrow because of the enemy's oppression? You know, when we're in the midst of difficulty, we, we need to remember that it's healthy, it's healthy to talk to your Father, to voice your suffering to God, to, to articulate to your, your father, what, what's, what's going on in your life, what you're going through, where your frustrations lie, how you're feeling. It's a really good and biblical thing. Again, read the Psalms over and over and over again of the psalmist is uh, lamenting to the father about his condition. So the first, he's willing to ask God why. Another cure, uh, he remembers and sings God's love. He remembers and sings God's, God's love. Uh, verse 8 says, uh, The Lord will send his faithful love by day. His song will be with me in the night a prayer to the God of my life. You know, singing, although I can't do it very well, is good for your soul. Right? Worship and singing in the midst of pain reminds us of what is true, which is critical if you're like me because we are a forgetful people. I was at a conference once and I heard a pastor uh, articulating his position about what songs you, you should sing on Sunday uh, during worship. And uh, I'm not 100% on his team, but I'm 99. This is what he says. Pastors, parents, worship leaders, are you teaching any songs that can be sung a cappella 
around a hospital bed in 50 years? Are you teaching any songs that can be sung a cappella around a hospital bed in 50 years? You know, at Vintage uh, this past year, we've had three folks, um, four actually, just recently, uh, under 40 pass away. I'm 32 years old. I'm not supposed to be doing funerals. You know, it's like, it's been a mess. But I will tell you, in the, in the hospital room, you, you, you sing the songs that you can sing a cappella, right? The, the songs that can just come to mind. And it's been so helpful for me to have song, songs like you've sang this morning. They're so good for our souls. You know, in addition to this, my wife and I use this uh, cheesy, I can call it cheesy because I didn't make it, but this cheesy app called Fighterverse. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it helps you memorize scripture. And they have these unbelievably cheesy songs that sing the verses verbatim. And if you can get past the cheesy part, it really helps you remember the songs. So when I'm fearful, and I'm fearful often, right? I hate planes. If you're a pilot, I love you. I don't like your job, right? If you're a dentist, I hate the dentist. I don't hate you as a dentist. I just don't like your job. It's a, I don't like being in a dentist ever. Um, and on a more serious note, you know, two years ago, I had some dizzy spells I was going through, and I had to take three MRIs. I don't know if you ever had an MRI. It stinks. You know, this big tube alone, this thing comes down your face. I mean... The whole time in there, I'm, I'm singing the songs that I learned in Fighterverse. So, you know, when I'm on a plane or in the dentist or in this big MRI tube, Psalm 56, 3 and 4 comes to mind. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I will not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? I didn't think I was going to sing, Kevin. But that is... <laughs> that's my audition for New City Worship. If y'all get desperate, you know, I can sub in, you know... Hey. But in, I'm, I, got, like, I got the lowest IQ in the room. <laughs> but it, it's repetition. I've listened to Psalm 50, that cheesy song on Fighterverse a million times. And then immediately when I have fear, uh, it's easy to, to rehearse God's word. So uh, sing. Lastly, uh, the psalmist preaches sermons to his heart. Uh, Psalm 42, uh, 5 says, Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, and I will uh, still praise him, my Savior and my God. Uh, the psalmist is a preacher, right? We all need to preach to our own hearts. You know, it's, it's as if he's saying, listen, self, wake up. <laughs> Hope in God. You're going to be with him soon. Hold fast. Trust in him. Remember God's redemption that he's provided for you in Jesus. We must preach to ourselves. You know, in fact, uh, one of the most influential books of my life uh, is uh, spiritual, spiritual Depression, It's Causes and Cures by uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones. I actually picked it up uh, for two buddies who were struggling with depression, and we read it together um, every Wednesday morning and uh, for a couple of weeks. And I think it ended up being more helpful for me than it was for them. It's so good. But one of the things that uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones says in there, um, in this vein of preaching sermons to your heart, he says, I say that we must talk to ourselves instead of allowing ourselves to talk to us. Do you realize what this means? I suggest that the main trouble in the whole matter of spiritual depression is that we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Uh, am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in the matter. Have you realized that most of your worry in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? We've got to learn to preach, all of us. Right? Preach to our own hearts. Right, to remember that because of Jesus, there's nothing we can do to make God love us more. Because of Jesus, there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. Right, for those of us who follow Jesus, we must remember that because of Jesus, God will never leave us. 
He'll never forsake us, and we must constantly uh, be reminding ourselves of that truth moment by moment. So first, there's a condition, spiritual depression. Secondly, we've looked at a couple causes, uh, not all of them. And thirdly, I've given you some tracks to run on with regards to uh, curing. That list is not exhaustive for clarity, uh, but just a couple helpful guidelines from Psalm 42. But you might ask, well, what can we practically do? You know, as always, when I have the massive privilege of teaching the Bible, I want your Monday morning to be different, right? I want you to uh, be walking around on Monday morning in the office singing some cheesy songs. And people are like, what is he doing? You know, because God's word is so uh, ingrained in your heart. So what does it look like to apply the reality of Psalm 42 on Monday morning uh, this uh, week? So in true pirate fashion, I'm going to leave you with seven R's. That was funnier than y'all gave me credit for, and I'm never coming back. Uh, Number one, uh, application. Ready yourself. Ready yourself. Don't be surprised. Uh, Be ready for seasons of spiritual dryness, uh, either spiritual depression or clinical depression, right? This season, spiritual depression will come for all people in this room uh, who follow Jesus. And I think this is one of the biggest uh, disservices we do to folks who follow Jesus. Uh, It's very important for new followers of Jesus. Nobody warns you. Uh, we forget to tell them that when you first follow Jesus, you typically have this am- amazing spiritual high. Right? You could read the Bible 24-7. It's like, I don't want to watch any Netflix. I want to read the scriptures. Uh, but then life hits, uh, and uh, God's presence seems uh, less tangible. So ready yourself. Uh, second, second R, I'd say rest. Some of you need to rest. Some of us need to uh, sleep better, <laughs> whether that's um, going to bed later or uh, earlier, rather. Don't get those backwards. Um, going to bed earlier or waking up later. Maybe you don't need to wake up at 4.45 to get to work, right? Maybe, maybe uh, you can get an extra hour on the back end or the front end. Uh, some of you need to take a nap. That, that's bizarre, I know. That's not a reality for everyone in the room. The most successful individual I know in Raleigh takes a nap every day from 2 to 2.30. Now, again, I know it's not true for, you know, I know a bunch of moms. And it's like, you are crazy if you think I can nap, you know. But maybe there is some time that we can find uh, breaks. Um, you need to, uh, in terms of rest, uh, Sabbath. Sabbath is such a good practice. We get to speak a lot about this, but Jessica and I try. We probably hit 40 out of 52 a year to do every Friday at 8 p.m. to Saturday at 8 p.m. No work, right? We can do whatever else we want, but no work Friday at 8 to Saturday at 8, which has been helpful rhythm for us. That's descriptive, not prescriptive. Um, good sleep, good diet, and good exercise and all this. Like Rest plays a huge role in spiritual and clinical depression, so I'd encourage you that. Third R, routine. Some of us need to reestablish routines. A daily time in God's Word. Uh, that is valuable, my friends. Get back to the scriptures if you haven't made that discipline uh, lately. Prayer, getting on our knees uh, often and asking God to work and move in our seasons of spiritual dryness. Uh, Church and fellowship. I'm so thankful to be here this morning because I can tell you to go to church and you can trust that I don't have any bias because I'm not telling you to go to my church. (laughs) Right? That's great. I want you to be here 48 times a year. I know that might sound like a, a heavy lift. Your soul needs this. You need to hear your sister sing. You need to hear your brothers uh, sing. Right? You need one another as uh, to come to the, reestablish the routine of, of church. Uh, you need to reestablish the routine of fun. Uh, some of you haven't fish, fished in 24 months, and it shows. Okay, You need to get on a boat, cast a lure, and just go at it. Okay. Uh, some of you, if you're like my wife at all, I, I need to drop you off at a TJ Maxx quarterly and just leave and then come back at five and she will just be grinning ear to ear, right? And sometimes I think we like overemphasize that. I mean, or underemphasize. It's like, it's okay to have fun. Like you need to reestablish some fun. Uh, some of you, uh, fourth R, you need to reflect, right? The psalmist asks God why. Grab a journal from Target 
and just tuck away for 15 minutes and just journal. Lord, this is frustrating me. Right? I, even with the Dodsons, I don't even think about this. I hope this is okay to share. But the, the frustration of them looking for a house for nine years, <laughs> you know, and not being able to find It's like, Lord, why, well, they want this good thing. They're the best host in Raleigh. It's like they're going to blow this thing out. You know, for me personally, uh, Dylan's been praying for me. Uh, we're um, uh, 19 months into the adoption process. We're done, right? I mean, if, I, if I disappear in the last set, it's because we're matched, right? <laughs> um, so we're waiting, and, and Dylan's even helpful to help me express the lament to God. It's like, Lord, we're, we're ready. We got the nursery, the creo, the pacifier. Like, why haven't we been provided a child yet? So it's okay to uh, reflect and ask God why. A fifth R. As we wrap up, rethink. Begin rethinking. Uh, some of us need a therapist, uh, a counselor to help us uh, transition through clinical or spiritual depression, right? Uh, you, you need a, a therapist who loves Jesus to walk with you uh, through, through this season of life. There may be a need for medication, and that's okay. That's okay. Just find a therapist and, and, and talk about it with them. Maybe, maybe they'll uh, deem that appropriate. Me personally, I see a therapist biweekly. Been doing it for 36 months. Best decision ever made. Not ashamed of it. Pro mental health. As long as I'm a pastor, I will be seeing a therapist biweekly, Lord willing. Uh, if you can't afford that, um, th- uh, find a friend. Um, Dylan's not my therapist, but uh, <laughs> I, on the, I meet with my therapist on Thursdays, and the other Thursdays I meet with Dylan. And he costs $3. That's how much the coffee at Caribou costs me, right? And it's, a, and, and it's a different thing, but it's like you have a friend like to walk with and and lament together and express frustrations and then put his hand on me and pray at the, in caribou coffee. You know, uh, it's good for us. So um, therapist or a friend uh, to help you rethink. A sixth R, reprioritize. Some of the, we need to seek the, the right things, right? What have you made vital in life that is not vital? You know, the deer who's panting in uh, uh, verse one and two, right? He needs water. Like what, what needs are you... Uh, or what other things are taking the place of needs, right? Some of you are, are on nine fantasy football teams, and you need to do one, okay? <laughs> Some of you uh, are, do every role at your elementary school, right? You're on the PTA, the, the parking committee. It's like, maybe like drop a couple of those. Maybe there's a board position that you need to resign from, right, to make some margin in your life, right, uh, spiritually. I would ask you, what are the most critical things for your spiritual, physical, and emotional health? And what does it look like to pursue those? And the last R for you, and I'll, we'll close it with this. Remember Jesus, right? Every story in the Bible whispers Jesus' name. So in Psalm 42, two, when the psalmist says, my, th- my soul thirsts for God, you should think of your King Jesus, who on his way to the cross said, I thirst. And he's able to empathize with what you're going through. When folks in Psalm 42 taunt the psalmist and say, where's your God? Jesus knows what it's like to be taunted by people like that. As he's uh, carrying his cross uh, and, and uh, uh, crucified, others look at him and say, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He knows what it's like to be taunted. And in Psalm 42, verse 9, when you're ever tempted, my dear friend, to ask, why have you forgotten me? You need to remember King Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And on the cross, God did forsake Jesus. So that the answer to your question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, would always be, I have it, my dear daughter. I have it, my dear son. I left my son on the cross uh, and, and put all of your sin onto him, gave you all of his righteousness by faith and trust in Christ so that I could never leave or forsake. You need to cling to that. That is our greatest hope in spiritual and clinical depression.